Discover community. Find hope and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. So I was backstage before we were starting and before the message, and I was just thinking, and I've been thinking about this all week. Yeah. Chair next to you. That's what if God like your mission to help fill that? Like, I, I don't think for a second God provides chairs that shouldn't have someone in them. I'm just wondering what if we we all said start praying for the empty chair next to us. God, who do you want there? Brad mentioned this passage from uh, it's 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, You are a royal priest and a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If, in fact, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it, it continues on, and a little bit later, and this has become like, like one of my favorite verses in the Bible because of the challenge to it. It, it, it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans. Pagans not being a pejorative word, but just a description of people who don't know God yet, people who don't know Jesus yet. Live such good lives among the pagans that even though they would accuse you of doing wrong, they would end up glorifying your Father in heaven. Live such good lives as followers of Christ that even though people would accuse you of doing wrong, they'd end up glorifying God on the day he visits because of the the way the church functions in a community, the way the church functions in a home, the way the church functions in a region, that, that the people of God would be so filled with goodness that the people around would, would scratch their heads. I'll tell you a story that, that's going to sound a little bit self-serving, but it's one of the first times that I realized that uh, this was happening, uh, that God was somehow doing something through me. I, I was uh, in senior uh, year of high school in business law class. Uh, Mr. Mashad uh, dismissed the class. And he said, Paul, you stay here. And I thought, oh, not again. Because I thought, here I go, right? Because that was kind of a thing for me once in a while to be held after class and uh teacher would explain sometimes that I'm not the teacher that he is, that I don't have to be talking to everybody, to, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And uh, a lot of teachers were confused on that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That, that, but, but Mr. Mashad held me after class and he called me up to his desk and, and he asked me this question and it struck me, not, not in a prideful way, just like, a, oh my goodness. Mr. Mashad asked me, he said, Paul, what's different about you? And again, I thought it was a trick question because I'm, I'm rattling through my, like, and he, he said, how are you different from your father and your brothers? He was a colleague of my dad's. My dad taught in a room next to his, and my dad wasn't a follower of Jesus at the time. And, and I started thinking, like, what do you mean by how am I? And all of a sudden it dawned on me. I said, well, I surrendered my life to Jesus when I was in junior high, and so I'm a follower of Jesus. And he said, is that it? I said, well, it depends on what you mean, because I was still wondering. He goes, you live with a different kind of like joy and goodness than your family. And I thought, well, of course, it's Jesus. Imagine what would happen if 1,500 of us, 2,000 of us who called this church home would say to God, God, 
every place we step into, every place we go, would you fill our lives with goodness? Would you fill our being with good works? Would you fill us with the life, kind of life so that the people around us, that even though they may accuse us of doing wrong things, saying wrong things, even though they would accuse us of doing wrong, they'd end up glorifying you by the way we live. Can you imagine what would happen if we decided in our hearts, God, we want to be all in. We want to be fully devoted. We want to flood the great, greater Grand Forks area again with your hope and love. We want everybody to know that God is alive. Can you imagine what would happen if 1,500, 2,000 people in a community like ours, maybe joined by all the other followers of Jesus Christ, would change the terrain of the community? That the spiritual barometric pressure would change because of the presence of God in the community. Can you imagine what would happen? If we took to heart the phrase that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. If we took to heart the the statement uh, in a different translation that you are God's masterpiece, that you are God's handiwork, if we would realize that the God of the universe was shaping us and molding us, let me read those passages again. This is from the New International Version. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. From the New Living Translation. For we are His masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Just let me pause there for a second. Just, just think about this. If that passage is true, which I believe it is with all my heart, if that's true, that means like God is shaping and molding us, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, and that there's things He planned. There's places He's planned for you to be, things He's planned for you to do long, 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 long ago before He even planned the foundation of the earth. <laughs> that's like... Let's do the next one. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, out of the New American Standard Version. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them, so that we would walk in, so that we'd live in the good works that God has prepared for us. Okay, if you're able to do this, would you stand for a second? I want to just give our first point, but I I would like us to stand because I need you to help me. Okay, I'm going to say the first point, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to repeat it back to me. Right, and then we're going to do some. It is you are a piece of work. <laughs> Go ahead, say it out loud. Okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to everybody around you. Look at me now. Say, you are a piece of work. Go ahead, just try it. Find someone. Don't let anybody go without it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. God, I pray that the hand of your Spirit would be all over, working inside of us, outside of us, through us, and that we would be people who work for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You, (laughs) you, I don't mean that the way it sounds, are a piece of work. The handiwork of God Almighty, the workmanship of God, that He has you in Christ as a masterpiece, that He would put you in a space 
on display for His glory. Oh, I don't measure up to that. Uh -uh, uh -uh. He is working His life and love in you and through you. You are a masterpiece. In 1863, there's a preacher named George Pentecost. When he was a little boy, he had lived near a sculptor's shop. The sculptor had this huge chunk of stone in his uh, garage. And he, little, little George walked over to the house and he asked the sculptor, what are you going to make out of, the, out of that stone? He said, what are you going to make out of that stone? And the sculptor said, my boy, I'm not going to make anything out of it. I'm going to find something in it. The sculptor looked at the little boy and said, said I'm not going to make anything out of it. I'm going to find something in it. There's a beautiful angel in that block of marble, and I'm going to find it. All I have to do is to knock off the outside pieces of the marble and be very careful not to cut into the angel with my chisel. Michelangelo said, every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is a task of the sculptor to discover it. Every stone has a sculptor in it, sculpture in it, and it's the task of the sculptor to discover it and find it and to reveal it and to release it. Some of us have lived for generations in our families with encrusted stuff around us. Generations of sin and pain and hurt. For, for many, many years of humanity, we've been becoming encrusted in a stone. A stone heart a stone of lifestyle that moves us away from God. And God says, you, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are my workmanship. You are a masterpiece. You are the handiwork of God. And he's chiseling away, sanding away, buffing away, loving away the encrustedness and revealing a beautiful being that he has created from the foundation of the earth. At the beginning of creation, God did this. He took sand and dirt and mud and clay and he fashioned it. He molded it. He created it into the shape of a man. He said that the man was made in his likeness. In his image, he created the male and female out of the ground. And then it says in scriptures that he he breathed life into the form and it became a living being and then after sin that living being filled with the breath of God has had the enemy of God and their own sin and selfishness knocking the breath out of them for the rest of their life and some of us feel that way spiritually. That you've had the breath of God knocked out of you. Some of us feel like, I don't even know that I've ever had the breath of God in me. But the truth of Scripture is that we are God's masterpiece. And when he looked at it, he, when he looked at humanity, he said, that is different than He looked at the trees and the mountains and the oceans and the waters. He said, that is good. That is good. That is good. And looked at humanity and said, that is very good. Adam looked at his wife Eve and said, whoa, man. She's fine. I mean, good. 
And God said that we are very good. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, the word in this passage, workmanship, masterpiece, handiwork, it's the Greek word poiema. It's the Greek word poiema, which basically means we, we would take that word and we, we translate it into the English poem. Or we translate it into English artwork. Or we translate it into English sculpture. We take that word poiema and translate it in, into English and it would say masterpiece. And we, many of us, have been listening to lies for our entire life. We look in the mirror and we see all the brokenness, all the woundedness, all the shatteredness, all the wreckness, all the ravagedness, rather than a masterpiece being built by God. Can I ask a quick question? Who's the artist of your life? Who's the artist of your soul? Who holds the brush or the chisel and the hammer or the sandpaper or the buffing cloth? Who holds the pen that gets to write the story of your life? Some of us have surrendered the pen to someone in our past and we let them write the script over and over and over in our lives. Some of us have handled the chisel and the hammer, and we've given it over to someone who smacks the life out of us over and over and over. Some of us have handed the brush to someone else, and that that other person, Satan, maybe yourself, maybe someone, they dip it in muck. And they've splashed it all over your life. And God would say to you, come on. My real, my real intention for you is that you are very good. Let me make you new. Let me reveal what I put in you from the very beginning. I don't know if you believe this or not, but I especially see the little kids up here. Like, I don't believe any child is ever born by accident. I don't think any child is ever conceived by accident. That there's something in the supernatural knowledge of God that every human soul, every human being has a plan and intention in his kingdom, that he has made them on purpose for a purpose, that he has made every person, even though your parents may have said, oh yeah, <laughs> you were an accident. You weren't. You weren't. Not in God's eyes. Right? You've been planned from the very beginning of time. And he wants to reveal his very good in you. He wants to breathe in you the breath, the pneuma of his Holy Spirit and animate you 
with the fullness of life. Can you say it again just out loud? Just one, maybe just change it just a little bit. If it's true of you, you don't have to say this yet, but, but maybe you will, right? I am a piece of work. Number two, you are the best you in Christ. You are the best you in Christ. I know, I know. Some of you, you've been working really hard to be a great version of you on your own. And some of you have done pretty good, like from an earthly standard. I mean, I look at some of you and say, yeah, decent. You're doing all right. Some of us have actually lived in a way that, yeah, God feels more supplemental to me than I have to be like all in for him. But here's what the scriptures would teach. That in Christ, like when you step and give your entire being to Christ, all that you are and all that you have, that when you live in his environment, you will be the best you you can be. That that it says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus to do. That that there's something about when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, there's something about when you're forgiven, there's something about when he cleanses you from all sin, that you step into something and you become a new creation. In 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it's like, seriously? I can be new? All of the junk of my past, all of the junk I've carried from generation to generation after generation in my family, I can be made new. I can have a new me released from the stone and the ugly and the horror and the encrustedness. I could be new. You mean the old could be erased in the kingdom of heaven? I want in. God, if you can make a masterpiece out of me in Christ, I need Jesus. Imagine. In Christ. This, this idea of salvation used in Ephesians chapter... You know what? I haven't even read the text yet. Let me read Ephesians chapter 1 or 2, verse 1 through 10. Again, the fourth or fifth time. As for you, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. As for you, he writes, those of you who are now followers of Jesus, but as for you, you were dead. In your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and see this with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. There, there's two ideas here being expressed in this passion. One is about being dead, and the other is about being made new. What he says about debt is that when people are still in their sins, when they're unforgiven by Christ, they're spiritually dead. Let me remind us, dead people don't manage their lives very well. 
Connected to dead, when you step into Christ, is the idea of resurrection. We're given new life. It's like God rebreathes His Spirit into us. <gasps> we were spiritually dead, and now we're made alive. There's also this idea of creation. God, when He originally created, He created all of the universe. Again, you don't have to believe this. This is what the Bible teaches, right? I believe that He created everything out of nothing. The created things contributed nothing. They're just created. The dead people create do nothing to deserve it. It's God's grace says it's unmerited favor. It's like saying, that, like, God, I'm a piece of stone. And it's like saying, I will, I, I will, I will let you place me in the artist's studio for the rest of my life. I would like you, Father, you, Holy Spirit, you, Jesus, be the artist of my soul. I would like you, Father, you, Spirit, you, Jesus, to be the artist that shapes my life. From the inside out, I want you, God, to use all of the tools of life. Prayer, scripture, rejoicing, struggles, whatever you can use, like a chisel, or like a brush, or like a pen in my life. Father, please, as I live in the artist's studio, as I live in Christ, shape me. So let me go back to that question I asked a moment ago. Who's the artist in your life? Like, who manages the brush most of the time? Here, here's my guess. Some of us, if we're honest, here's my, here's my guess. Hardly any of us are going to say Satan. Yeah, I gave Satan the brush. Most of us would not do that. Some of you might say that. Some of you might look backwards and say, for several years, Satan had the brush in my hand, but most of you not. Here's what most of us would have to admit. Yeah, the brush, the pen, the chisel. Yeah, they're in my hands. I'm the management of the artist's tools. I'm the, I'm the one who controls that. Satan doesn't mind if you are the main artist of your life, he just doesn't want it to be God. And you're doing fine, I mean, comparatively. Because like when I look around the room, some of you are way better than the others. <laughs> some of you are way better than me. But Satan doesn't mind. Satan will let you be as good as you can be just not in Christ. See, Satan's, his characteristics are he's a liar, a murderer, a stealer, a destroyer. All he wants to do is make sure you, the sculpture of your life doesn't reflect Jesus. It can reflect you all you want it to do. God, God says... He, when he creates us, he wants to give us life and life to the full. He wants to be able to look at us and see the reflection of his image. He wants to reveal what's been placed in us from the very beginning. He, he, he wants to let us shine for his glory. 
It would be like someone coming up to God and he's, they see you in the studio. God, what are you making there? Well, this is a new creation. And what I'm doing is I'm revealing what my intention has been since the beginning of the world. And you watch. I'm going to breathe my spirit into that man, into that woman. And their lives are going to do beautiful for me. Here's the third point. You, do good. Do good. Will you say that? There's a comma after the you. You, just say that part. Do good. That we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, don't misunderstand. I know there's a lot of kinds of churches that teach that you have to do so many good things to get into heaven. Dead people can't prepare themselves. Right? This, the good works I'm talking about don't earn salvation. They are evidence of salvation. Right? The good works, like you're not trying to appease God or make him happy with you. He already loves you at his full capacity all the time. John Stott, who's an, an English preacher, says this, good works are indispensable to salvation, not as its ground or means, however, but as its consequence and evidence. We are not saved because of works, but we are saved for good works. Good works which God prepared beforehand, which he designed in a past eternity for which he has fashioned us so that we should continuously walk in them. We are, you, you know, there's certain kinds of artwork, right? Certain kind of masterpieces, certain kinds of things that are absolutely beautiful, designed by an artist, certain kinds that you put on a wall and you just look at them. They're beautiful. They're amazing, right? You look, oh, that's breathtaking. This kind of artwork, the kind of artwork where God says that you are my masterpiece, you are functional artwork. The kind of bowl or the kind of chair or the kind of table or the kind of beautiful live edge wood that serves a purpose. You are functional art, the kind of art that people look and say, that is amazing the way it works and serves and is still beautiful. We are intended to be God's masterpieces, his handiwork. But for some of us, we've been trained from the time we were little kids that the primary role of a Christian isn't to do good works after they become followers of Jesus Christ. We've been taught from the time we were little kids that the primary thing we're supposed to achieve is just don't do wrong. That's where we live. Avoiding, we live with a defensive posture. I just got to make sure I can't sin, I can't sin, I can't do it. We just make sure that we don't do any wrong. And so some of us, we don't do anything. We just don't do wrong. And our lives feel like the breath of God is sucked out of us because we're playing defense all the time. I'm not saying that we should not, I'm not saying go out and do a bunch of wrong. I'm saying make the primary thing, God, when I step into a space, how can I do good here from my heart that loves you, that loves the people around? How could God, what good, what good am I bringing into this space? Some of us from the time we're little kids have been taught 
that here, what Christianity is, you gotta believe the right things. You gotta, you gotta know all the right stuff. And we've pursued knowledge. There's nothing wrong with that. But the goal of the Christian life isn't to know everything. The goal of the Christian life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Knowledge helps with that. But Jesus says that I have made you like a light on a hill. Don't hide it. Shine it. Imagine what would happen if 1,500 of us, 2,000 of us said, I am going to make sure that my house, I do good out of love for Jesus. That when I go to work, I'm going to do good out of love for Jesus. That when I live in this community, I'm going to make sure that those who don't know God see such beautiful lives amongst, that lived amongst them, that even though they may disagree with us on things, they would have glorifying God. Can you imagine what would happen? See, I've become convinced in my old age. You're supposed to laugh at that because I'm not that old. I felt like there's more laughter about that than in there. I've become convinced that the greatest power on the face of this earth is God's love. I think I used to say it without really believing it. But God's love is like, like a stream that flowing in the same space for a long time can shape the terrain of a family. God's love and goodness flowing for a long time in a place of work could shape and reshape the train of that workplace. God's love flowing for a long time, gently, with goodness, could change the train of a community and a region and a nation. Imagine if God's people, I I know, shine like lights. I I know it it says, but we need to be salt too. I know, I know. Let's just be honest. Some Christians are just a little too salty. Maybe we need to shine too. Could we stand together? Before I do the benediction, let me ask you. What about the rest of today and tomorrow? Are you willing to look? God, what's the good thing I can do because I love you and because I love others? What's the good thing? How do you want me to shine? May the Lord our God bless you. May he cause his face to shine on you. May our God who loves you lift up his countenance upon you, filling you with his grace and granting you his peace. 
go into the world and be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let God love you. Love him in return. And love others in Jesus' name. Go be church. Thank you.